0: Breathe in, one, two, three. Now out, one, two, three, four. Excellent. Tonight's tale of mystery, intrigue, and murder is truly spine-tingling. Welcome to Calm Mystery. This instalment, "Witness for the Prosecution," by Agatha Christie. Read by Perry F. Bruns, Part Two. The Voles lived in a small, shabby house near Paddington Green. It was to this house that Mr. Mayhurn went. In answer to his ring, a big, slatternly woman, obviously a charwoman, answered the door. Mrs. Vole. "'Has she returned yet? "'Got back an hour ago. "'But I don't know if you can see her.' "'If you will take my card to her,' "'said Mr. Mayhern quietly, "'I am quite sure that she will do so.' The woman looked at him doubtfully, wiped her hand on her apron, and took the card. Then she closed the door in his face and left him on the step outside. In a few minutes, however— she returned with a slightly altered manner. "'Come inside, please.' She ushered him to a tiny drawing-room. Mr. Mayhurn, examining a drawing on the wall, started up suddenly to face a tall, pale woman who had entered so quietly that he had not heard her. "'Mr. Mayhurn, you are my husband's solicitor, are you not? You have come from him? Will you please sit down?' Until she spoke he had not realized that she was not English. Now, observing her more closely, he noticed the high cheekbones, the dense blue-black of the hair, and an occasional very slight movement of the hands that was distinctly foreign, a strange woman, very quiet, so quiet as to make one uneasy. From the very first, Mr. Mayhern was conscious that he was up against something that he did not understand. "'Now, oh, my dear Mrs. Vole,' he began, "'you must not give way,' he stopped. It was so very obvious that Romaine Vole had not the slightest intention of giving way. She was perfectly calm and composed. "'Will you please tell me about it?' she said. "'I must know everything. Do not think to spare me.' I want to know the worst. She hesitated, then repeated, in a lower tone, with a curious emphasis which the lawyer did not understand, I want to know the worst. Mr. Mahon went over his interview with Leonard Vole. She listened attentively, nodding her head now and then. I see, she said when he had finished. He wants me to say that he came in at twenty minutes past nine that night. "'He did come in at that time,' said Mr. Mayhurn sharply. "'That is not the point,' she said coldly. "'Will my saying so acquit him? "'Will they believe me?' Mr. Mayhern was taken aback. She had gone so quickly to the core of the matter. "'That is what I want to know,' she said. "'Will it be enough? "'Is there anyone else who can support my evidence?' "'there was a suppressed eagerness in her manner "'that made him vaguely uneasy. "'So far there is no one else,' he said reluctantly. "'I see,' said Romaine Vole. "'She sat for a minute or two perfectly still. "'A little smile played over her lips. "'The lawyer's feeling of alarm grew stronger and stronger. "'Mrs. Vole,' "'he began. "'I know what you must feel. "'Do you?' she asked. "'I wonder. "'In the circumstances, "'in the circumstances, "'I intend to play a lone hand.' "'He looked at her in dismay. "'But, my dear Mr. Vole, "'you are overwrought, "'being so devoted to your husband. "'I beg your pardon.' The sharpness of her voice made him start. He repeated in a hesitating manner. Being so devoted to your husband. Romaine Vole nodded slowly, the same strange smile on her lips. Did he tell you that I was devoted to him? She asked softly. Ah, yes, I can see he did. How stupid men are. Stupid, 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 she rose suddenly to her feet. All the intense emotion that the lawyer had been conscious of in the atmosphere was now concentrated in her tone. I hate him, I tell you, I hate him, I hate him, I hate him. I would like to see him hang by the neck till he is dead. The lawyer recoiled before her and the smoldering passion in her eyes. She advanced a step nearer, and continued vehemently. Perhaps I shall see it. Supposing I tell you that he did not come in that night at twenty past nine, but at twenty past ten. You say that he tells you he knew nothing about the money coming to him. Supposing I tell you he knew all about it, and counted on it, and committed murder to get it. Supposing I tell you that he admitted to me that night when he came in what he had done. That there was blood on his coat. What then? Supposing that I stand up in court and say all these things? Her eyes seemed to challenge him. With an effort, he concealed his growing dismay and endeavoured to speak in a rational tone. You cannot be asked to give evidence against your husband. He is not my husband! The words came out so quickly that he fancied he had misunderstood her. I beg your pardon, I— HE IS NOT MY HUSBAND! The silence was so intense that you could have heard a pin drop. I was an actress in Vienna. My husband is alive but in a madhouse, so we could not marry. I am glad now. She nodded defiantly. "'I should like you to tell me one thing,' said Mr. Mayhurn. "'He contrived to appear as cool and unemotional as ever. "'Why are you so bitter against Leonard Vole? "'She shook her head, smiling a little. "'Yes, you would like to know. "'But I shall not tell you. "'I will keep my secret.' Mr. Mahon gave his dry little cough and rose. "'There seems no point in prolonging this interview,' he remarked. "'You will hear from me again after I have communicated with my client.' She came closer to him, looking into his eyes with her own wonderful dark ones. "'Tell me,' she said. "'Did you believe, honestly?' "'that he was innocent when you came here today. "'I did,' said Mr. Mayhern. "'You poor little man!' she laughed. "'And I believe so still,' finished the lawyer. "'Good evening, madam.' "'He went out of the room, "'taking with him the memory of her startled face. "'This is going to be the devil of a business,' "'said Mr. Mayhern to himself as he strode along the street.' "'Extraordinary, the whole thing. "'An extraordinary woman. "'A very dangerous woman. "'Women were the devil when they got their knife into you. "'What was to be done? "'That wretched young man hadn't a leg to stand upon. "'Of course, possibly he did commit the crime. "'No,' said Mr. Mahon to himself, "'no?' There's almost too much evidence against him. I don't believe this woman. She was trumping up the whole story. But she'll never bring it into court. He wished he felt more conviction on the point. The police court proceedings were brief and dramatic. The principal witnesses for the prosecution were Janet Mackenzie, maid to the dead woman, and remain Heilger, Austrian subject, the mistress of the prisoner. Mr mayhern sat in court and listened to the damning story that the latter told it was on the line she had indicated to him in their interview the prisoner reserved his defence and was committed for trial mr mayhern was at his wits end the case against leonard vole was black beyond words even the famous kc who was engaged for the defence held out little hope if we can shake that Austrian woman's testimony, we might do something, he said dubiously. But it's a bad business. Mr Mayhern had concentrated his energies on one single point. Assuming Leonard Vole to be speaking the truth, and to have left the murdered woman's house at nine o'clock, who was the man Janet heard talking to Miss French at half past nine? The only ray of light was in the shape of a scapegrace nephew who had in bygone days cajoled and threatened his aunt out of various sums of money. Janet Mackenzie, the solicitor learned, had always been attached to this young man and had never ceased urging his claims upon her mistress. It certainly seemed possible that it was this nephew who had been with Miss French after Leonard Vole left. "'especially as he was not to be found in any of his old haunts. "'In all other directions, "'the lawyer's researches had been negative in their result. "'No one had seen an at Vole entering his own house, "'or leaving that of Miss French. "'No one had seen any other man enter or leave the house in Cricklewood. "'All inquiries drew blank.' It was the eve of the trial when Mr. Mayhurn received the letter which was to lead his thoughts in an entirely new direction. It came by the six o'clock post. An illiterate scroll, written on common paper and enclosed in a dirty envelope, with the stamp stuck on crooked. Mr. Mayhern read it through once or twice before he grasped its meaning. "'Dear Mr.' You're the lawyer, chap, what acts for the young fella. If you want that painted foreign ussy showed up for what she is in a pack of lies, you come to Sixteen Shaws Rent Stepney tonight. It'll cost you two hundred quid. Ask for Mrs. Mogson. The solicitor read and re-read this strange epistle. It might, of course, be a hoax. But when he thought it over— he became increasingly convinced that it was genuine and also convinced that it was the one hope for the prisoner. The evidence of Remain Heilger damned him completely, and the line the defense meant to pursue, the line that the evidence of a woman who had admittedly lived an immoral life was not to be trusted, was at best a weak one. Mr. Mahon's mind was made up. "'It was his duty to save his client at all costs. "'He must go to Shaw's rents. "'He had some difficulty in finding the place, "'a ramshackle building in an evil-smelling slum. "'But at last he did so, "'and on inquiry from Mrs. Mogson "'was sent up to a room on the third floor. "'On this door he knocked, "'and getting no answer, knocked again. "'At this Second knock. He heard a shuffling sound inside, and presently the door was opened cautiously half an inch, and a bent figure peered out. Suddenly the woman, for it was a woman, gave a chuckle and opened the door wider. "'So it's you, dearie,' she said in a wheezy voice. "'Nobody with you, is there? No playing tricks. That's right. You can come in. You can come in.' With some reluctance, the lawyer stepped across the threshold, into the small, dirty room with its flickering gas-jet. There was an untidy, unmade bed in a corner, a plain deal-table and two rickety chairs. For the first time, Mr. Mayhern had a full view of the tenant of this unsavory apartment. She was a woman of middle age, bent in figure, with a mass of untidy grey hair and a Scarf wound tightly round her face. She saw him looking at this and laughed again, the same curious, toneless chuckle. "'Wondering where I hide my beauty, dear? he <laughs> afraid it may tempt you, eh? But you shall see. You shall see.' She drew aside the scarf, and the lawyer recoiled involuntarily before the almost formless blur of scarlet. She replaced the scarf again. "'So you're not wanting to kiss me, dearie?' <laughs> "'I don't wonder. "'And yet I was a pretty girl once. "'Not so long ago as you'd think, either. "'Vitriol, dearie, vitriol! "'That's what did that. Ah, "'But I'll be even with them!' "'She burst into a hideous torrent of profanity, "'which Mr. Mayhern tried vainly to quell. "'She fell silent at last.' her hands clenching and unclenching themselves nervously. "'Enough of that,' said the lawyer sternly. "'I've come here because I have reason to believe "'you can give me information "'which will clear my client, Leonard Vole. "'Is that the case?' "'Her eyes leered at him cunningly. "'What about the money, dearie?' she wheezed. Two hundred hundred quid, you remember?' "'It is your duty to give evidence, "'and you can be called upon to do so.' "'That won't do, did "'I'm an old woman, and I know nothing. "'But you give me two hundred quid, "'and perhaps I can give you a hint or two, see?' "'What kind of hint?' "'What should you say to a letter? "'A letter from her. "'Never mind how I got hold of it. "'That's my business. "'It'll do the trick. "'But I want my two hundred quid.' "'Mr. Mayhurn looked at her coldly "'and made up his mind.' "'I'll give you ten pounds, nothing more. "'And only that if this letter is what you say it is.' is. Ten pounds?' she screamed and raved at him. "'Twenty,' said Mr. Mahon. "'And that's my last word.' "'He rose as if to go. "'Then, watching her closely, he drew out a pocket-book "'and counted out twenty one-pound notes.' "'You see?' he said. "'That is all I have with me. "'You can take it or leave it.' "'But already he knew that the sight of the money was too much for her. "'She cursed and raved impotently, but at last she gave in. "'Going over to the bed, she drew something out from beneath the tattered mattress. "'Here you are, Damiel!' she snarled. "'It's the top one you want.' It was a bundle of letters that she threw to him, and Mr. Mayhern untied them and scanned them in his usual cool, methodical manner. The woman, watching him eagerly, could gain no clue from his impassive face. He read each letter through, then returned again to the top one and read it a second time. Then he tied the whole bundle up again carefully. They were love letters, written by Romaine Heilger, "'and the man they were written to "'was not Leonard Vole. "'The top letter was dated the day of the latter's arrest. "'I spoke true, dearie, didn't I?' "'wined the woman. "'It'll do for her, that letter.' "'Mr. Mayhern put the letters in his pocket. "'Then he asked a question. "'How did you get hold of this correspondence?' "'What's telling?' she said with a leer. "'But I know something more.' I heard in court what that ussie said. Find out where she was at twenty past ten, the time she says she was at home. Ask at the Lion Road Cinema. They'll remember. Fine, upstanding girl like that. Curse her! Who is the man? asked Mr. Mayhern. There's only a Christian name here. The other's voice grew thick and hoarse, her hands clenched and unclenched, Finally, she lifted one to her face. "'He's the man that did this to me, many years ago now. She took him away from me, a chit of a girl she was then. And when I went after him, and went for him too, he threw the cursed stuff at me, and she laughed. Damn her! I've had it in for her for years. Followed her I have, spied upon her, and now I've got her. She'll suffer for this, won't she, Mr. Lawyer? She'll suffer.' She will probably be sentenced to a term of imprisonment for perjury, said Mr. Mahon quietly. Shut away! That's what I want. You going, are you? Where's my money? Where's that good money? Without a word, Mr. Mayhern put down the notes on the table. Then, drawing a deep breath, he turned and left the squalid room. Looking back, he saw the old woman crooning over the money. He wasted no time. He found the cinema in Lion Road easily enough, and when shown a photograph of Romaine Heilger, the commissionaire recognized her at once. She had arrived at the cinema with a man sometime after ten o'clock on the evening in question. He had not noticed her escort particularly, but he remembered the lady who had spoken to him about the picture that was showing. They stayed until the end, about an hour later." Mr. Mahan was satisfied. Romaine Hylga's evidence was a tissue of lies from beginning to end. She had evolved it out of her passionate hatred. The lawyer wondered whether he would ever know what lay behind that hatred. What had Leonard Vole done to her? He had seemed dumbfounded when the solicitor had reported her attitude to him. HE HAD DECLARED EARNESTLY THAT SUCH A THING WAS INCREDIBLE. YET IT HAD SEEMED TO MR. Mayhurn THAT AFTER THE FIRST ASTONISHMENT, HIS PROTESTS HAD LACKED SINCERITY. HE DID KNOW. MR. MAYHERN WAS CONVINCED OF IT. HE KNEW, BUT HAD NO INTENTION OF REVEALING THE FACT. THE SECRET BETWEEN THOSE TWO REMAINED A SECRET. Mr. Mahon wondered if some day he should come to learn what it was. The solicitor glanced at his watch. It was late, but time was everything. He hailed a taxi and gave an address. Sir Charles must know of this at once, he murmured to himself as he got in. Thank you for listening to Calm Mystery, a murder mystery company production. To solve your own case with us, Visit murdermysteryzoomparty.com, all one word, and use code CALM, C A L M, for $20 off your own murder mystery party. We have dozens of entertaining detectives. You can even ask for me, Perry, by name. If no one else can help, and if they can find me, maybe I can help you become Detective of the Night. That's murdermysteryzoomparty.com, all one word. Code call.